Well, we're back, and I'm back on stage again. I'm sorry for the, all of me today. It's a bit frustrating. It's uh, one of those things, uh, unfortunately. Bless Richard. We're going to pray for Richard in a minute, actually, before I start. Uh, but just a, a reminder to you um, that uh, Richard was due to be preaching today. And so uh, I, I have taken that responsibility on because Richard is feeling unwell. So before we go any further, can we pray for Richard? If that's all right. So Lord Jesus, we just thank you for our, our dear brother Richard. Lord, I thank you for his uh, amazing uh, gift. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would just bless him today. Lord, whilst we're sorry we're not going to get to hear him preach, Lord, I pray that you would just uh, bless his health today. Lord, we pray that you'd heal uh, what is wrong with him today. Father, I pray that he would be able to rest well at home. And I pray that he'd just be able to encounter your presence and your goodness today over his life. So Lord, we pray you bless him and Pam, Lord God, today, that they might know you with them. Amen. Amen. Well, yeah, as I said, you've got me today, and uh, this is the first time I've spoken now in, in two months. I actually took a bit of a break just while I was doing uh, that, my, you know, my blessed dissertation, which is now finished. Hooray, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. It's so funny, right? So, so uh, I know I've gone on about it a lot, right? And so, so Becca goes to me in the office this week. They were asking me whether it was done yet, and Becca, went, Becca said, made this like, backhanded comment, which was, well, I'm sure we'll all be pleased when that's out of the way. Um, <laughs> thank you very much, Becca. No pressure on me or anything. Um, but anyway, so yeah, so it's, it's great to be back, back a week earlier than I was expecting to speak. Um, and so this is a message that I have constructed in the last two hours. So I'm hoping that it speaks into your life and into your heart. But I want to talk today a little bit about Father God. And um, look, because it's Father's Day, isn't it? And I know for some of us, Father's Day can be quite a difficult day. So maybe you don't want to know what it's like to have a father. Maybe you grew up in a household where your dad wasn't there. Maybe you grew up in a household where dad had died before you were even kind of being brought up and you, don't, you never knew a dad. Maybe you lost your father recently, so maybe Father's Day for you is a difficult day. It's, it's a day of pain for you. Or maybe you'd like to be a father, but you've not been able to be one. Or maybe you've, worse still actually, had a bad experience of a father. Maybe your father, you had a father, he was there, but you've experienced a bad father. You know, that sometimes that can actually be worse than having no father at all, experiencing a bad father. I love being a dad. I genuinely love it, and I'm, I, I'm blessed to be a dad. And today I got some great presents. I didn't bring the bottle of whiskey to show you that I got because um, from ED, but I did get a pair of pliers from Jude. So he wanted to buy me a pair of pliers. I don't know why, but I'm really, really grateful for them, and I'm looking forward to pulling out some screws and nails with these, Jude, with you uh, later on. So I'm so pleased about that. And I have to say, I, work I do work hard at being a dad. I consider it a real privilege to be a, be a father. And I know that I don't always get it right. So sometimes my kids say to me, Dad, you're the best dad in the world. And I go, you know I'm not. <laughs> but I do try hard to be a good dad. And I do that because I know that how I parent my children is teaching them something about what God is like. There is a responsibility, therefore, on me as a father to behave in certain ways. I need to try and demonstrate to my children what Father God is like to them. I, I need to set them a good example of what it's like rather than a bad example. Maybe that's for some of you at home today. Maybe you're a dad. Maybe there's an encouragement or an exhortation to you in that as well. But that's why I want to do it. I want to I demonstrate something about what God is like to my children. Because how we view our temporal, our earthly relationships can impact the way that we view God. We can place our own misunderstandings of what fathers are like onto God. We, as I've already said, we can kind of put our misconceptions or our misunderstandings and we can place them onto God and think that God is the way 
that we might assume from the, the fathers we've seen around us. So here's another example. Maybe, you've had, maybe you had a distant dad. He didn't show you love or affection. Maybe you never had a hug with your dad. Maybe he never told you that he loved you. And as a result, you worked really hard throughout your life to try and earn his love and his respect and his approval. And then you became a Christian. And in the same way that you viewed your dad, you now view God the same way. And so you try and earn God's love, respect and approval. Here's another one. Maybe you weren't brought up as a Christian. Maybe you were brought up in another religion. And calling God Father seems absolutely outrageous to you that you could call God Father. These different things are different ways that we can misunderstand God's fathering heart for us, or we can kind of misinterpret it based on our own experience. Because we all bring our own lived experience to our relationship with God. We bring our own backgrounds, our own kind of where we are in the world. We bring it when we read the Bible. We bring our own, the way we interpret the Bible, each of us will be different based around our experiences. And we can do the same with God as well. And so today, I want to talk about God being a good father. And I want to talk about snakes, stones, and the spirit. So we're going to do this by looking at Matthew 7, verses 9 to 11. And we're also going to look at Luke 11, 11 to 13. It's the same story, just from two different uh, Gospels. So those of you who might be new Christians or have not read through the Bible before, the Gospel accounts, there are four Gospels that tell the story of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptics because they're similar to one another. Some people think, me included, that Mark was the first one written and that the other two, Matthew and Luke, were based on what Mark wrote, adding things to it as they heard them and seen them themselves. And so you'll see that there's a slight distinction between these two stories, but they are essentially exactly the same. I just want to read both of them because they're both important to what I want to say. So Matthew 7, 9 to 11 says this, Which of you, this is Jesus speaking, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And then Luke 11, 11 to 13, so same story. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So Jesus is talking about prayer in this passage. I've spoken about it just before this. And he says those famous words, ask and you will receive, knock and the door will be opened to you. And then we get to these verses. And what's he talking about here? Well, he's talking about the Father's good gift. And I want to talk about the three things that Jesus talks about here. I want to talk about the two gifts that aren't the gift that God gives. So stones and snakes. See, God doesn't give stones and snakes. He gives the Spirit. So I just want to talk about these other two things because these are important. God does not give you stones says Jesus. Which father would give their child a stone if they asked for a loaf of bread? So stones, what's that about? We know God's not made, don't you? It, sounds like a, it might sound like a bit of a daft comment. God isn't made. God wasn't made by anybody. God has always existed. God has always been there. But the problem is, too often, we make God into who we want him to be. 
You and I, we make God into who we want God to be or who we think God is. I've just said some of that already. So sometimes we place our misinterpretations of God as Father based on our own understanding of fathers in our own life. So we make God into who we want him to be or who we think he might be rather than who he says that he is. And then sometimes we get upset when God doesn't do what we wanted him to do. That, that kind of behavior almost treats God like a genie in a lamp who grants us wishes. That's, the, that's that kind of behavior, actually. We can get frustrated. God didn't do what I wanted him to do. I've heard that comment lots. And that's sometimes misinterpreting who God is. God is who God is. You know, that's happened throughout history. In fact, actually, the Israelites did this over and over again. You can read this in the Old Testament. Maybe you've not read the Old Testament before. The Old Testament is the story of God's people, the Israelites. And what you see in the Old Testament is they continually, continually, continually wander after other gods. So in ancient Israel, there was the habit, particularly with the the, the Israelites, they made themselves household gods. So Asherah was the goddess of fertility. And uh, biblical archaeologists have found lots of little Asherah statues that were found in people's houses that they've dug up. And they argue, some people argue, well, the the Israelites were polytheists. That means you believe in more than one God because they worship these different gods. But you see in the Old Testament, God continually saying, these gods aren't real. Why are you worshipping these gods? They don't don't exist. They're nothing. They mean nothing. And so what they would do anyway, they would make these gods out of different things, these goddesses out of different things, and they would pray to them for different things. So Asherah was the goddess of fertility. She would bless your crops and bless your Bless your loins. Yeah, she was the, the goddess of fertility. And so the, the Israelites would pray to this goddess, thinking that it might actually do them some good. Wider than this, different cultures around them worship different gods. You'll see this, the, 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 the whole thing of Baal worship in the Old Testament. You've also got this god, Molech. Molech is detestable. The Israelites, the, the Israelites get caught up, along with other cultures, sacrificing children to Molech. And God says, this is a detestable thing that you've done. The Israelites so often made themselves gods that weren't gods. And we see it over and over again. And God keeps saying time and time again, these aren't gods, I'm the only God. You can't make gods out of stone. You can't make gods out of wood. Let me read you this from Isaiah. God God talks about this is how preposterous this all is. This is God speaking. No one stops to think, no one has the knowledge of understanding to say, half of it I use for fuel, this is talking about wood, half of it I use for fuel, I even baked bread over its coals, I roasted meat and I ate it, shall I make a detestable thing from what is left over? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? Such a person feeds on ashes, a deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, is this not a thing in my right hand a lie? And God's talking about idol worship. He's saying that you... What are you doing? You, you make, you make uh, a fire with wood in it, and then you take what's left over, and you carve a statue out of it, and you worship it. Like, that's a really clever thing to do. This is going to help you in life. Like, it's bananas. And we all look at it and go, what a stupid, why would they be so silly? What a stupid thing to do. Yeah, the truth is, we do similar things all the time. We're no better than them. We chase after careers, after money, after sex. And we think that if we have them, we'll be happy. We make idols out of anything we can. We try and find things to worship that aren't gods. And we convince that if we have them, they'll bring us good things. And sometimes what we do is we ask God for those things. And God says, why would I give you an idol when you can have me? But my friends, these are just stones. God doesn't want to give you stones. 
says Jesus in Matthew. See, God is neither made of stone or wants to give stones to you. So that's the first thing. God doesn't want to give you stones. Secondly, God doesn't want to give you snakes. Last week, along with a few people, a few of the young people from church, we cleared the back garden of a lady that was affected by the house explosion over in Willsborough. In fact, actually, I forgot to put this in my Friday email. It's just a quick reminder, just reminding myself of this. If anybody would like to help uh, maybe do this lady's garden once every couple of weeks, just go around and mow her lawn, that would be great. She's been moved into a different house. Her house exploded. She's been moved into a different house. And so we went around, some of the young people, to clear the garden of the new house she's been given by the council. And the, the grass was like this high. And so we started cutting out and we were digging around. And we lifted up a couple of stones. I'm looking at Josiah because he was there. And, uh, and there were slow worms absolutely everywhere. Now, you might like snakes and things like that, but I was a little bit like, oh, put a shudder down my spine when you see these kind of slithery things like rigg wriggling off into the distance. Now, you might be a snake fan. I genuinely am not a snake fan. Snakes are a bit, ooh, to me. <laughs> and so I was a bit kind of put out by it. And maybe you've been the same if you'd have found a slow worm. In the Bible, you see uh, themes and symbols. They come through all the, all the time in the Bible. And one of the, the symbols that we get in the Bible is snakes. And snakes are often depicted as being crafty or being evil. You see this in Genesis, don't you? Genesis, the story of the fall of man, Satan is depicted as a serpent. The tempter appears as a snake, saying, did God really say? So snakes in the Bible are presented as being evil. Jesus, when he says, would God give you a snake? He's saying, God's not going to give you something evil. God doesn't give us evil things. And God isn't evil. We need to understand that. He doesn't give us evil things, and he isn't evil in himself. But sometimes we act as though he is. Why did God do this to me? Why did God make this happen? That's assuming that God isn't good. Evil entered the world through the lie of a snake. And that's Satan. And humans chose to accept that lie rather than the truth. And rather than making evil happen, Jesus has come to make all things right. You see, Jesus comes to fix what is broken. He comes to fix the problem of evil. He doesn't come to cause more evil. God has come to put the evil that we've caused right. He comes into creation to redeem brokenness, to bring justice against the evil and crush the head of the serpent, it says in Genesis. Jesus is not evil. God is not evil. And Father God doesn't give you evil things. So what does God give us? If he doesn't give you stones or snakes, what does he give you? Well, Jesus says when we ask, God gives us the spirit. You know how I know that God is good? He gives you the spirit. That's how I know that God is good. Why? Because I've encountered the spirit in my own life. I know that God is good because I have the promise of the spirit living and residing within me. That's profound, and you need to understand that today. He hasn't chosen to give me something I can look at, like a stone, or something that I can be afraid of, like a snake. He's chosen to give himself to me. More than that, he's chosen to come and live with me. As Jesus puts it in John 14, he's come to make his home in me. I know that God is good because he's come to make his home in me. I don't know that God is good because I've got a stone statue of him or because he's made me believe in him. No, I know he's good because he's come to live in me. Some of you need to hear that. We talk about this a lot at Gateway, because we've all come from lots of different theological backgrounds. 
And I've said it before, and I'll be honest about it. I know that some of you are frightened of the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, that's daft. But I know for some of us we are, and we're scared of the Holy Spirit's presence. We're scared of what God might do. If he, what happens if I encounter the presence of God? We, that, there's, some of us attach fear to that. The Holy Spirit is good, and he is God's. And so I want to keep reminding you and keep encouraging you to encounter the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is good. Why is the Holy Spirit good? Well, first of all, he reminds us that we are God's children. Romans 8.15 says this. The spirit you've received doesn't make you slaves. Because that would be evil, wouldn't it? The spirit you've received doesn't make you slaves. So that you live in fear. That's what an evil God would do. I want them to live in fear. I want them to be slaves. No, no, no. The spirit you've received brought about your adoption to sonship, to daughtership. And by him we cry, Abba. That's like daddy. By him we cry, Daddy, Father. We cry, Abba, Father. The spirit isn't evil. He's good. He calls you into relationship with Jesus. 1 John 4, verse 13 says this. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. How do you know that you belong to God? I've got the Spirit. How do I know that God is good? Well, I've got the Spirit. That's the first thing. So the Holy Spirit reminds us that we're his children. Secondly, the Holy Spirit acts like a seal, guaranteeing our inheritance. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14 says this, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit is like a seal on an envelope. You know, like the old wax seals you get and, you know, like the the old scrolls of paper? That's the image that Paul's conjuring up here. The Holy Spirit acts like a guarantee, a guarantee that the letter's not been touched or opened by somebody else until until it gets to the person who's meant to be opening it. That's what a seal was for. Paul is saying that in the same way, the Holy Spirit is a seal over your life, guaranteeing in you that the inheritance that you've been promised will come to fruition. The Holy Spirit gives you an assuredness of hope that when you die, you're not just going to be, you're not going to go to nothing or, or go, to, go to hell. You're going to go and be with Jesus. The Holy Spirit guarantees that inheritance in you. Maybe you'll live, you live with fear, fear of the unknown and fear of tomorrow. You need the Holy Spirit to give you the hope of your inheritance. Perfect love casts out fear, and the Holy Spirit will do that as he encounters you in your life, as he comes and you encounter him. That's the second thing. So the Holy Spirit is a guarantee of our inheritance. Third of all, the Holy Spirit is the dynamite power of God. So in the New Testament, the word for, for power is actually dunamis, which is where we get the term dynamite from. That's the kind of power that God talks about when he says that he's going to send the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power of God. Luke 4, 24, 49 says, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay into the city until I have be- you have been clothed with power from on high, says Jesus. This is the, 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 the great commission in Luke, Luke's Gospel, okay? The Father promises the Spirit, and the Spirit is to clothe you with power from on high. The dunamis power of God, the dynamite power of God, is promised to you. It's promised to you. 
This is not just for the Bible, okay? So there are some people who would, be, who would say that they were cessationists. What a cessationist is, is somebody who says, well, all this stuff about miracles and power and the Holy Spirit, well, that was, that was all for the Bible. And now that the Bible's been finished and written, well, well, it's not for now. It's not for today. It was for then, but it's not for now. It, it died out with the apostles. Dear friends, there is nothing in the Bible that would teach you that. That is nonsense. I, I've categorically stated, you find me a verse in the Bible that says that the Holy Spirit's power is meant to die off with the, the death of the apostles. It doesn't say it. The expectation that the apostles had is when they planted churches and acts and when they, 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 they created this mission that they went on to partake in the mission of Christ was that the whole world would encounter the gospel through the power of the Spirit. The world is not going to be changed unless it encounters the Spirit of God and it encounters it through us. Okay, So you can't believe that the, God, that the Bible teaches that the power of the Spirit is reserved for the people in the Bible. The power of the Spirit is reserved also for us, his people. Okay, you must... Uh, 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 challenge me on it if you want to. You can try and find me a verse. It's not there. Okay? It's the second... Really important. You need to hear that. The promised good gift of the Father that Jesus talks about in Luke is the Spirit. You need the Spirit. You need the Spirit. I can't say that any more strongly to you as a pastor... You need the Spirit. I've been doing this job 18 months now, and the one thing I want to keep saying to people is, you need the Spirit. He empowers you for witness. He enables you to grow in obedience to Jesus, and he performs a transformative work in you, making you more like Jesus. If you want to know the Father, you need to encounter the Spirit. And A.W. Tozer said that you can have as much of the Spirit as you want to. It's a free gift. When you read John 13 to 17, that's the Joanine uh, farewell discourse, 1 John, Romans 8, Ephesians 1 and 2, you will see a clear link between knowing Father God and being filled with the Spirit. It's like, in, in the biblical writer's minds, these two things become inseparable. If you encounter the Holy Spirit's power in your life, you will know the Father. If you know the Father, you'll want more of the Spirit. And, 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 and Christ's work is that we might encounter the Godhead living within us. As you begin trusting that Father God wants to give you good things, and that's the first point. You need to trust me when I say God wants to give you good things. Because if you live in fear of the Spirit, you won't believe me when I say that. But God wants to give you good things. Father God wants to give you good things, and then you'll begin asking for more of the Spirit. As you ask for more of the Spirit, you will experience more of the Father. That's what Jesus is talking about in John 13 to 17. So how do you ask for the Spirit? How do you receive the Spirit? How do you receive the Spirit? Well, you need to ask. Okay? You need to ask. That's the first thing. Secondly, you need to be expectant. I know, sometimes I ask the Holy Spirit to fill me. I don't feel anything, but I walk away feeling changed, actually, just feeling like a sense of, oh, I didn't feel anything like, oh, my word, I fell over, or I, you know, encountered the things that some people think are weird. I didn't encounter anything, but I know that God's met with me. When we ask, we can be expectant that God is going to meet with us. That's the first thing. Secondly, live obediently. This is a weird one, but it's important. The gift of the Spirit is utterly free and unmerited. You see this in Acts. That people encounter the Spirit. They've not done anything to deserve the Holy Spirit's encountering in their lives. They encounter the filling of the Spirit. The Spirit enables you to grow in obedience. Galatians 5.22 talks about the Holy Spirit helping you to grow in godliness and Christ-likeness. 
But as you walk in obedience, you will encounter more of the Spirit's power. That's what Jesus is talking about in John, John 14. Walking in obedience, you will encounter more of the Spirit's power in your life. Dallas Willard says that God is looking for those he can entrust his power to. If you want to encounter more of the Spirit in day-to-day life, keep asking, he's going to keep filling you, but keep walking in close obedience to Jesus, and you will see his power and ever more on display in you. Thirdly, step out in faith. You can't ask unless you're going to step out in faith and be willing to ask for it. So let's land this, shall we? Well, look, we are about to move into a new season as a, as a church, but wider than that as a society. Um, we don't know the effects of everything that's happened over the last 18 months. I don't think we'll really see that for a couple of years and see, oh, look at all these things that have changed as a result of coronavirus. I know for some of you, the last 18 months has really rattled you. Maybe it's rattled your faith. Maybe things have happened in your life and it's shaken you. And some of us have really changed through the last 18 months. The foundations of our lives have shifted. And what is true of us as the church is also going to be true of those outside the church as well. We've seen people's foundations shift. The world needs to encounter God. And the the world will encounter God as you step out in faith, in obedience to Jesus by the power of the Spirit, and start showing people what the Father is like. That's that's what the Gospels teach us. That's what Acts teach us. Jesus Jesus commissions the, the disciples to go out and show the world God. We're his disciples. We're to do the same thing. This was a totally unexpected talk today. I woke, as I said, I was at 8 o'clock getting out of the shower. Didn't know I was going to speak today. But I just wanted to say these three things to you. Perhaps you need to encounter the love of the Father today. Well, you need the Spirit, if that's you. Perhaps you need to encounter the hope of the Son today. You just need the hope of the Son. You need the hope of Christ to come and dwell in your hearts. Well, you need the Spirit. Because the Spirit leads you to Jesus. It's his delight and his joy to lead you to Jesus and reveal truth to you. Thirdly, perhaps you need fresh power to make it through this week or make it even make it through today. Maybe this morning's been a hard morning for you. Well, you need the Spirit. So what I thought we could do is be close today. We're just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and meet with us. Um, so I don't know. We've got one more song that we can sing. Great. In fact, actually, can we just do a chorus and verse of a, a good, good father again? Thanks. Sorry. When I was leading worship, I used to hate it when the preacher did that. But anyway, <laughs> cool. Let's stand up, shall we? If you want to receive the Spirit, you need to be—you need to actually ask, right? That's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew and Luke. So what we're going to do is we're just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come and meet with us. So you can put yourself in a position of receiving. That's why we put our hands out in church, by the way. It's not anything special. It's not like all of a sudden God's going to come when you do that. It's just saying, God, I'm open to you. I want to receive your power. I want to receive who you are. So if you want to receive God today, if you want to receive the Spirit, you have to do that if you want to do that. Just lift out your hands and say, Holy Spirit, I just want to meet with you. I'm going to pray for you, but you need to do that as well. You need to say, Holy Spirit, I want to encounter your presence. Holy Spirit, I want to encounter your power. So, Father, I pray that what I've shared today will resonate with people. Pray, loving God, that you might come alongside people today. You are a good, good Father, and you long to give us the Spirit. It's your joy and your delight, because you know that as you do it, God, that we will become more like your Son, And the world will see him in us. And so, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and just fall afresh on us today as a church community. I pray for people at home watching that they might encounter your presence. 
Um, Father, I pray for us in the room today that we might encounter you. Holy Spirit, I pray today that where there's dead wood in people that needs to be just burnt away, Holy Spirit, come and do that work. Holy Spirit, where there's people in the room today who just need to walk in obedience to Jesus, Holy Spirit, I pray, come and do the work that you can do and lead them in obedience. Holy Spirit, I pray today where there's people who just need to know the love of the Father, Holy Spirit, that you might remind them today that the Father loves them. And Holy Spirit, I pray today that anybody who's living in fear of the future, oh, would you remind them of their wonderful inheritance, the one that, that, that never perishes, spoils or fades, kept in heaven for us. Holy Spirit, we pray right now, come and fill us with your power, we ask you, Lord God. Ciao, people.